Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. It's going to be a good time. But if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, if you would open to the book of Matthew chapter 16, um, I'm, I'm, I'm entitling today's message, um, What Are You Living For? What are you living for? You know, early on in my Christianity, um, I learned how to witness to people and to share my faith with people, even though I didn't know everything um, I should have known, I think, uh, about my faith in Christ. All I knew back then was how to share what God had done for me. Now, you got to remember, for me, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't come from a Christian home. I didn't have a Christian background. Um, I was raised as a Catholic kid, and so I believed in God, but had no relationship with God, had more religion than anything else. And um, I can remember when I gave my life to Jesus, and God cleansed me and washed away all my past and gave me this brand new life. One of the first things that my pastor and the leaders of our church back then started to teach me was how to share my faith. And I thought, and, and, and it's a good thought, um, but it shouldn't stifle you. I thought that I needed to know the Bible backwards and forwards and upside down uh, in order to share um, my testimony with other people. But what ended up happening is that I started to share my testimony with people um, in the community on the streets that we went out in outreach with. And really, um, I just sat and watched everybody. Like, we had, I had friends of mine that would jump up on a bullhorn and on, on a bus, you know, stop. And in fact... First time I ever went on outreach, Roxanne was preaching um, and sharing her faith from a bullhorn, you know, on, on the corner. And I was just watching. I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is tremendous. This is crazy. You know, just, Jesus loves you and, 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 and God died on the cross for you. Repent of your sin. And, and I'm just sitting here watching and I'm like, man, that's pretty awesome. And then I remember going with my friend to somebody's house and him knocking on the door and inviting them to church and I'm just sitting there as just like this new Christian believer just kind of listening and and this guy's just like hammering this guy with questions and I'm like man I hope he doesn't ask me anything because I don't know much has anybody ever felt like that like I hope you don't ask me because I don't really know how I'm going to respond to that and 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 this is one of the main reasons why you know, we, we developed the discipleship system in Restoration Life that we do because we want everybody to know how to accurately respond to the questions concerning our faith. And so, of course, we have RLU. Come on. We got the RLU, and we've got apologetics there, how to defend your faith and, and why you believe what you believe. And, of course, we have Bible Boot Camp for you to learn how to study your Bible, which everybody here should know how to study their Bible. And, of course, you know, of course, our what we believe doctrinally with Pastor Mitch because you want to know how to accurately defend, you know, what you believe and be accurate in what you believe and not just like this surface level religion, right, that oh, I believe in God because I want you to know that as a Catholic, I was as religious as they come because I believe in God but I didn't serve God. But I, I'm, I'm fearful for the people that believe that they can come into restoration life and say the very same thing but just label it as Christian, I'm fearful for that because one day we're all going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to stand before God knowing or, or, or realizing that, man, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I really don't have a relationship with God. Maybe I'm just like, you know, emotionally attached to the idea of salvation but not really have ever experienced a transformation through salvation in Christ Jesus. And so as your pastor... Um, I'm concerned about people who attend church on Sundays but live like the devil Monday through Saturday. I'm concerned about that because, and I already know a lot of you aren't going to like me today. And, and, I, and I, I'm all, I already prepared myself to be good with that. Like I've already pre prepared myself for your social media posts. I've already prepared myself for your Twitter and, and your quotes, your misquotes and and, and, and your Yelp review, can't stand, they're so condemning, I hate him. You know, gave this church a lot of tries. Love the worship, hate the past. I'm ready for it today. I'm ready for your email. Re I came ready. I came ready because I came saturated by the presence of God knowing that I'm just going to speak truth. I'm just going to share truth with you 
and however it lands on your heart or in your soul, that's between you and God. So don't kill the messenger. Come on, pray for the man of God. <laughs> and, and, and is this okay? Because, because one of our main mission statements um, is reach, right? Our responsibility as Christians is to reach people with the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this isn't something for just Eddie to do, Max to do, Mitch to do, Don to do, leaders to do. This is something that is on all of us as children of God, that we are all a part of this reach. And if we're going to reach people correctly, then you got to know that your relationship with God has to go beyond anything emotional. It's got to go beyond, beyond anything cerebral. It has to be just enveloped by a knowing God and him knowing you and you pursuing truth and activating truth. And look, I'm already getting text messages right now from some people. That's okay. I love you. I love you right now. Um, so I, I remember growing up in church and, and, and learning how to witness to people and sharing the love of God with people. And I learned how to do that by asking two questions. And, and really, um, what, the first question is, like, what do you, what do, you do for a living? And of course, a lot of people, like if I were to ask Pastor Mitch, what do you do for a living? Pastor Mitch, what do you do for a living? I fix cars. I, Robert, what do you do for a living? Work for American Airlines. They, what do you do for a living? You're a nurse, right? So, I, I mean, if we go to different people, we could ask you what you do for a living. And all of us would know how to respond to that if we're working, right? If we're working, like if you ask some of the, the housewives here, they'd be like, you know, domestic technician, Right? Um, <laughs> what does that even mean? I do everything. That's what that means. <laughs> I'm a domestic technician, right? Most important job in the world. But we all do something for a living. But if I were to ask you, what do you live for? What do you live for? That's a little bit more in depth. That's a little bit more personal. That's a little bit more intimate. And a lot of people are like, well, I live, you know, for my wife. And I, if I were to ask your wife... You know, that might be true or not, you know, or I live for my family or I live for my children or I, I, I live to make the world a better place or I, I, I live to love on everybody or I, I live for this and I live for that. The reality is that we all live for something. Every single person sitting in this room right now lives for something or someone, right? Every single one of us. There's not one person here that doesn't live for something, right? We all do something, but we also all live for something. And most times, most of us don't do what we live for. Most of us do um, what is available for us to do that is a means to an end. But most of us do what we do because we're living for family. We're living for friends. We're living, a lot of people will live for their career. A lot, a lot of people, if you were to ask, what do you live for? Like, I want to be insta-famous. I want to be a social celebrity. You know, I'm going to be YouTube, you know, famous. And there are a lot of people that are pursuing that because a lot of people have gotten discovered, you know, by just presenting their, their content and their stuff online. And so a lot of times when you ask people what do they live for, it's more of an in-depth question because everybody lives for something. Everyone lives for someone, even, even though you may realize it or not. And I think it's a great question to ask ourselves today. What am I living for? What are you living for? Because as we start off this year strong, um, I know that people live for financial gain. I know people live for career. Some people live for money. A lot of people live for other people's approval. Right? I know people that have gone to school or to college, and it's not what they wanted. It's what their parents wanted for them. And so they weren't necessarily living for themselves. They were living for what mom wanted, what, what dad wanted, what grandma wanted, what everybody was expecting of them. But they didn't do that for themselves, they did it for others. Or other people live to try to make other people happy. And, and how many know that that doesn't work? But if I were to ask you bluntly, what are you living for, how would you answer that? And, and I would dare say that there are a lot of people that have a lot of great responses. Like, man, I'm just, man, I'm living for God. And that's probably the best response that you could ever have. But it has to be backed up by your actions. Right? Because it's a really good Christian cliche to say, oh man, I'm living for God. I'm living for Jesus. I'm, I'm living for God's purpose. And we could say those things, but if we're not doing those things and we're not striving in those things, then really 
what we're being is hypocritical. And if we're being hypocritical, then we're not being salt and light in the earth. Um, in fact, we're causing or giving the enemy room to blaspheme and to come against the God that loved us so much that he wasn't willing that any should perish. And so he gives us his very best. And so I want to I take a trip back with you today to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in this portion of scripture, um, Jesus is going to ask a very important question. And it's important for all of us to understand what it means to ask this question. Because as, as we look at this, it's a critical moment for Jesus. Right? It's All of Israel is buzzing with the news of, of the Messiah, of the Son of David, of, of Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. And the government knows him. The religious people know him. The people that are struggling and are in difficult places know of him. Um, everybody's heard of him to some degree. And everybody's just buzzing with, man, the Messiah, Jesus, you know, um, uh, uh, Hosanna in the highest, all these things. And, and, then, and, then, and then it starts to crystallize against him. And people start um, to trying to defame him and, and, and make him out to be a liar. And, and the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and everybody is trying to make him out to be like this false prophet. And, and people's opinion starts to turn against him and... And knowing all of this, Jesus asked this question to his disciples. In Matthew 16, verse 13, he says this. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do men say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, we hear the response of Peter. He said, You are the Christ. The anointed one, right? The Messiah, the son of the living God. And then in verse 17, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church, and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? The gates of hell, another translation would say, would not prevail against it. And then he goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Why? Because we are in alignment. Heaven and earth are aligned because of the revelation that God has shown you. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, right? Whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Another translation would say it this way. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid. Come on. Whatever you forbid on earth, I forbid the enemy's uh, attack on my family to have any kind of fruitfulness in it. I forbid addiction to take a hold of those that have been set free by the blood of Jesus. Come on, I forbid these things taking, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven according, of course, to the word of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God. And so I want to make a quick point in this because what Jesus is looking for is something very specific when he asks this question. Who do you say that I am? It's a question that all of us should ask ourselves. Who is Christ to us? Because a lot of people come across like, Christ is my homie. Right? Me and Jesus, we're good. You know, Christ is my friend. Jesus and God, you know, they're, 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 we're family. We're friends. I'm a friend of God, you know. And that's all good. But is it accurate? Is it accurate in every aspect of the way that we live out our life? Because Jesus isn't looking for just any response. He's not looking for a cliche response. He's not looking for whatever everybody wants to hear. But he wants a response that is accurate, heartfelt truth that comes from deep within a conviction of our soul. It's a life-changing conviction to be devoted to God and his plan for our lives because if we give him nothing but lip service, then really our life is counterfeit. It's, it's not Christian. It's a form of godliness. But there's no power flowing through it. And I don't know about you, but Jesus didn't die on a cross and remove and wash away all my sin and give me a brand new life for me to live in a form of godliness. To live a counterfeit 
Christian life, but he died and rose again to give me a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works that have been predestined for me to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And none of that is possible with lip service. Jesus would say things like, you know what, they declare me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I'm afraid to some degree for many people that come to Restoration Life and the global Christian church that really are just giving God their good lip service. That are giving cliche responses to what God wants to hear. But how many know God knows our hearts? Right? He knows our hearts. And so today's going to be a little bit rough. Today's going to be a little bit revealing. Today's going to be maybe a little bit um, hard for some of us to swallow some of this truth. But I care about you enough to tell you the truth. Because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know God's word and you know God's truth and you pursue it with everything that's within you, then I can assure you that even though we make mistakes, I can assure you even though we don't always get it right, that God's grace is there to cover us, but is also spurring us to move forward into this new Christian life that God's given us because there's no reason why we can't live victorious as Christians every single day of our lives based on what Scripture teaches us. I'm not talking about always having it all together. I'm not talking about not going through storms. I'm not talking about never experiencing the hardships of life. You know, I shared this with you guys last week that I was in a very dark time in this, this past December. Kind of shared that on social media. With, you know, I know some people thought that I was back in the hospital. I wasn't. I was just sharing of God's goodness and how God used my wife, our prayer warrior in the house, to really help me come out of this dark place because I was alone with my thoughts. How many know it's a dangerous thing to be alone with your thoughts? And even though everybody was making me rest, and everybody's telling me to rest, that you can't, you should just sit home and stay home and do it. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving it, and I'm good with it, but I'm not fragile. I know who I am in Christ. I know that I'm a son of God, and I know that I'm not fragile. I know I'm going through stuff, but I know that I'm not broken. I know I'm just navigating through some darkness that, that's just enveloped me, but I know that, that God's my shining light and that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path. And I know that as long as I stay disciplined in what I know, that he'll get me through everything that I go through. And so I realized that, that being alone and doing nothing and being alone with my thoughts was not necessarily the healthiest thing for me. It was probably not that good for me, although there was some aspects of that that was good for me. But, but I want to talk to you this morning about who do you live for? Because it can't just be lip service on Sunday. It can't just be something that we confess, but there's no fruit of that confession. You know, the proof is in the fruit. You'll know who belongs to Jesus by their fruit. So the proof is in the fruit. And if there's evidence of a relationship with God, that means there's also evidence of repentance. Because we're going to talk about repentance today. Because I think a lot of us are really good at worshiping God, but a lot of us aren't so good at repenting against the things that God wants us to repent. Is this okay? Because here's my first point if you're writing things down, and hopefully we'll get through this together. Jesus is seeking more than a confession. He wants your commitment. He wants your commitment. And, 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 I'm, and <laughs> I'm going to tick some of you off right now. This is, this is what I want to say to you, but... Again, I want you to, let me finish before you leave, before you get up and walk out, right? Before you, in a very imaginary way, cast stones or, or vegetables at me, okay? Your confession isn't enough. Your confession is not enough. But the Bible says... That if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your heart, you, yeah, that is a part of it. But it's not enough. And I know a lot of guys that are theologians and, and, and scholars and, you know, Pharisees. And I know that you're going to listen to this. Your confession of Christ isn't enough because 
a lot of people have confessed Christ, but there was no fruit of repentance in their confession. It was just lip service. In other words, there have been a lot of people that have come to, and this is what I'm fearful for. I'm afraid for many people that have raised their hands, that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and have walked out, and there's no fruit of that confession. Why? Because there's no repentance. And if there's no confess, no repentance, is there truly, is, is, is the confession accurate? Is it, is it real? Or is it just something that was emotionally driven in an atmosphere that was created in this room? And we have to be super careful. Because I know that there are so many people, a lot of people, not just here, but globally, that are going through a difficult time, are going through a struggle, they see a way out, they see Jesus is the way out, they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but they don't serve Jesus as Lord and Savior. They, they just use it like an abracadabra, everything's good now. Like some kind of spell. Or like a lucky charm. Like if I say this, everything's going to become okay. Right? But there's no real personal repentance and relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son, empowered through God the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to get you to see that this is what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus asks, who am I? Like if Jesus were to manifest in the flesh, in this room, and come to any one of you and say, who do you say that I am? Well, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, and we believe that he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave for all of us, then our life will, be will bear fruit of that confession. It'll bear fruit of that confession because we have the conviction that we are all guilty as judged about sin in our lives. And that without Christ, there's no remission of sin. There's no washing away of the sin. There's no atonement. There's no restoration. There's no redemption. There's no relationship whatsoever. In fact, if we're not careful, it could just be lip service. Because when people are going through stuff, they'll try anything to get out of it. It's like when you're hungry, you'll eat anything because you're hungry. You get hungry enough, you'll eat just about anything to stop feeling hungry. And I think that a lot of times that there are a lot of people, good people, that'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in his entirety. Um, and we get to this place where it's an altar call. It's, it's a time, an opportunity for salvation. And we genuinely feel like, you know what, maybe I should try Jesus. Maybe I should try him. And there's no real conviction necessarily of my sin, but I feel like if I tried Jesus, Jesus would be good for me. And you know what? I'll start taking my family to church because Jesus would be good for my kids. And Jesus would be good for my family. And so it becomes more of a social thing than a relational thing. And it's important for us to understand today what Jesus is looking for because Jesus is looking for something far more than a confession. He's looking for a covenant, he's looking for a commitment, he's looking for a devotion that is in response to what he did on the cross. But it starts with our confession of our sin, and it starts with the confessing of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but if you continue to live your life the same way you did before you walked in through those doors, and before you heard the gospel message, is there a real relationship that's, that's developing or is it just lip service? Do we religiously now call ourselves Christians because once a week I go to church and I, and I adore him through worship. I hear a message. I respond to it. I think it's cool. But the rest of the week I don't study my word. I don't pray. I'm not loving to everyone. I'm not forgiving. There's no fruit of the spirit in, every, in any area of my life.
And so in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, crowds are following Jesus. Jesus makes this declaration. He says it this way in Mark 8, 34 through 36. He said, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, it's inclusive, right? Or ex- yeah, it's inclusive. Whoever wants to be my disciple. In other words, all of you have this opportunity. All of you have been invited to be my disciple. This is what Jesus is saying. Then he says, this is what you have to do. You have to, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You have to deny yourselves. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. But whoever wants to lose their life for his sake will what? Save it. Right? And then he goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for what? It's twofold, isn't it? Jesus is our redemption. The gospel is our purpose. And so Jesus makes this declaration. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be in relationship with me, then you must deny yourself. Another, another gospel would say that deny yourself daily, pick up your cross, and follow me. Follow me. And then he goes on to say, um, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and to forfeit their soul? It's an interesting portion of scripture because if you look at the Greek writing of this portion of scripture, you'll find out that um, many translations, specifically the NIV, uses life and um, soul twice. But in the Greek, um, those are not different words. They're both in the same. So when he says when he says your life, he's not just talking about your everyday existence going through life. And then when he says your soul, your soul always is attached to your personality. It's the real you. It's who you are. So when he talks about life and soul, in the English, they're different words. But in the Greek, they're the same word. It's the word psyche. It's the same word that we get our psychology from, your psychology. And so sometimes it refers to a material part of man as opposed to his body. But most often... It it refers to the consciousness of man. And the psyche is the real you. It's the real you that lives and breathes and makes decisions in life. Life is not a bad translation, but as long as we remember, it means more than just a physical existence. And so what God is looking for is more than just your lip service of your physical existence. He wants the way that you think. He wants you to the way, he wants the way that you process. He wants you to the way that you make decisions. He wants all of you, not some of you. And so let me be clear. Because the question is, will it be the way of the world or will it be the way of the cross? Because the way of the world is you trying to save your own life. Like I'm going to save my own life by pursuing a good career. I'm going to save my own life by being a good person. I'm going to save my own life by doing good things. I'm going to save my own life for by pursuing my own dreams and my own desires. And Jesus said those that are out to save themselves are going to lose themselves. But then he makes a statement and he says, those of you that lose yourself for me and for the gospel will be saved. And so what he's saying is this, when you put me first, when you serve me, with the entirety of all your heart, mind, and soul, and when you pursue my will for your life, salvation doesn't come by your work, but it is a fruit of salvation in your life. Romans 10.10 puts it this way, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. The thing is, is that it doesn't stop there. It continues, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good, right? Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So confession is vital. But in addition, we are instructed that it must 
be without wavering. Now here's where it gets a little tricky, not too tricky, but a little tricky because if we hear the gospel and we respond to the gospel by raising our hand or by saying the sinner's prayer or by confessing Christ, biblically speaking, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there is something that God attaches to that. That repentance of sin must be made. It must be made. And so here's my second point. A confession unaccompanied by repentance is counterfeit. Because how can you say, I'm going to pursue Jesus, but I'm going to continue to sleep around with whoever I feel like sleeping around with? How can I say that God comes first in my life, in my pursuance of his will for my life comes first, when, when very prevalently um, your career or your hobby or your job or your desire comes before God's will before your life. How can we accurately state that we are born again, right? That we are set free by the blood of the Lamb, that we are new in Christ Jesus, and still go on getting plastered on the weekends? How can we truly, the reason why we could say that and still do those things and have no conviction is because there was no conversion. Listen, I'm afraid for the soul of man when he stands before God. Because one day, every person in this room will stand before judge, the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged, right? We will be judged for our relationship to God, and we will be judged for our relationship to the world. Now, the judgment before God comes in the form of a reward, right? But the judgment before God as an unbeliever comes to us as wrath. And here's what we have to understand, that a lot of good people, people that you would have thunk a long time ago, that they know God, that they have a relationship, a lot of people are going to stand before God, and God's going to be like, I don't even know you. But wait a minute, God. I was a sound engineer at your church. You have to know me. God, I was the one preaching on Sunday mornings. God, I was the one running all the film and all the me. I was the one carrying on all the kids in nursery. Well, everybody, I was the one that welcomed everybody, that made everybody feel, I, I'm that person. And like, no, no, I don't even know you. I don't even know you. That's a scary thought to me as your pastor. It's a scary thought that when we raise our hand and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that really all we're doing is wanting to feel better. That's a scary thing to me. Because it isn't always about feeling better. Let me tell you something. I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And there have been times that I don't feel good at all. There have been seasons that I don't feel like preaching. I don't feel like teaching. I don't feel like calling and following up. I don't feel on like posting a, 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 a like on somebody's. I, I don't feel like coming. I, don't, I just don't feel like it. There are seasons of that. Right? But my relationship with God isn't wrapped around me feeling good all the time. Because I don't believe Paul felt good being locked up and beaten for what he believed. I know that he counted it all joy, but I don't think he felt good about what he was experiencing. I don't think anybody feels good when their children are tripping and they're heartbroken. And yet they're pursuing God, they love God, they have a relationship with God. And so it, it isn't always about feeling good. It's about living right before God all the days of our lives. Because the Bible says, and you'll see it time and time again, that when somebody comes to Christ, they repent of the sin, Jesus releases them of all their sin, but then he says, go and sin no more. So it wasn't enough that God healed you and that God restored you, but now there has to be action, a repentive action, that points you back to God in a way from the world. 
So a confession unaccompanied by repentance for me is just counterfeit. It's just lip service. This is why some people don't experience the power of God. This is why some people can't see God moving the way many people do move because they've just given them lip service, wanting him to come in and rescue them like a form of a genie instead of surrendering to God's full plan for their lives regardless of what that is, good, bad, or uncomfortable. Because let me tell you, going into the mission field and being out in another country and doing the, word of, the work of God in, 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 in horrendous circumstances and situations, that's not going to make a lot of people feel good. That's why there are a lot of people that don't do it. Because it isn't about feeling good all the time. It's about knowing that I'm in a right relationship with the Father. And we have to get beyond just feeling good. Now, mind you, I'm one that believes that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm one that believes that God is able to do above and beyond anything we ever hope for or believe. I'm one that believes that God does want to bless you. That God does want to prosper you. That God isn't afraid of you becoming a multimillionaire. God is not afraid of you having nice things. But those nice things cannot come before your relationship to him. And so this is us. This is a part of our reach. Our reach is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone. With the whosoever's of the world. And we can't, we can't um, share our faith if we're not living our faith. Acts 20, 21 says, I declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what, what is he saying? Remember, the book of Acts, a, a revival breaks loose, right? They're, they're speaking in tongues, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit is in the upper room, and all these people are hearing, you know, people in the midday, and are these people drunk? Is, there's something different about them. There's something about their countenance that's changed. No, it's the power of God that came on them. But then Peter comes out, bold as the lion, and starts preaching Christ crucified. And he starts to repent of all your sins and be baptized. I submit to you this morning that having faith in Jesus necessitates that you confess him as Lord. But I also submit to you this morning that your confession is only valid if there's repentance towards God. If there's no repentance, if there's no repentance, there's no fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no relationship. The Bible says you will know them by their And so this is something that we all have to deal with because being a Catholic for so many years, I got used to going to church and splashing some holy water on me and doing the sign of the cross and having them put the ash thing on me and making the little, you know, baby shoes out of palm tree branches to hang up on my, you know what I'm saying? Got used to all that, right? That's religion. I went on Sunday, you know, the Father blessed everybody. I wasn't allowed to take a communion because I didn't do my confessional. <laughs> and, and, and after I left church on Sunday, it was as if I didn't attend any kind of Christian service at all, which I didn't. But we can't allow that to creep into restoration life. We can't allow that same religiosity to creep into our Christianity. Because Christianity and religion don't go hand in hand. Like for me, like a lot of people say, well, you know, there's a lot of Christians um, that live this way. Well, if they live that way, then they're not Christian. Because that's not Christ-like. There's a form of godliness, but there's no power. Oh, come on. I told you. It's all good. We're almost done. You cannot say that you believe in Jesus and continue to live the way that you used to live before you confessed Christ as Lord. He can't just be your Savior. He has to be your King. Because everybody wants to be rescued. Nobody likes to serve. Everybody wants to be rescued. Nobody likes the idea of becoming a servant. Let me tell you something. When 
you become a son of God, when you become a daughter of God, when you become a marriage of God, a family of God, it is the greatest privilege in the world to submit your life to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and be used for His glory however He sees fit. However He sees fit. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is something that we get to do. It is, I mean, think about this. You have been rescued from the pit of hell, prepared for Lucifer and every fallen angel. By the blood of Christ, he sets us free. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to surrender whatever you want, God. Wait a minute. I was going to be cast into, like, this lava pit? where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity, what do you want me to do? Anything you want me to do, what do you want me to do? I'll do it, I'll do whatever. You want me to leave my job, I'll leave my job. Right? You, you, you want me to you just give all my money away, I'll give all my money away. God, thank you for not sending me there, but welcoming me into heaven. What, whatever you need, whenever you need it, however you need it, here I am. Use me. Why? Because we've come to a place where we've acknowledged that without Christ, we're lost. That because of what Christ had to, we, he didn't just die for us. He paid the ultimate price instead of us. He took all of our sin and shame and nailed it to the cross so that you and I can come into this loving new relationship with God. And then God makes all things knew though your sin was dark as scarlet, it shall be white as snow. And God is the only one that made that happen. You can't make that happen. I can't make that happen. This facilities can't make that happen. Only the blood of Jesus can make that happen in your life. And so, how do we confess Christ and continue to do some of the things that we do? How do we do that? Because I don't believe that once we've given our lives to Jesus, I don't believe that we're still sinners. I believe the Bible describes us as saints. Right? I believe that the Bible describes us as family of God. It doesn't mean that we have it all together because that's where the grace of God comes in. But it, what it does mean is that we should not be making the same error that we, that we did in times past. Romans 6, 1 puts it this way. Well then... Should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, come on, since we have died to sin, since we have died to pornography, since we have died to lying, since we have died to stealing, since we have died to lust, come on somebody, since I've died to my old ways, come on, since I've died to fornication, since I've died, come on. Since I've died to doing the things that I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, and I've surrendered myself to him. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him, in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Come on. Listen, some of you need to, need to hear this this morning. When you confess Jesus Christ as Savior, as your Redeemer, come on, as your Restorer, as, 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 as your King, what ends up happening is the power of sin over your life has been broken. That chain is severed. It's severed. You don't have to go back to your sin. Come on, you don't have to go back to Sancho. Or Sancha. You don't have to go back to the drugs. You don't have to go back to the addiction. You don't have to go back to the bro. It's been severed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin has no hold on you anymore. You've been set free. You've been delivered. You were imprisoned, incarcerated, and tortured by it your whole life. But when you received Christ, he sets you free. He opens prison doors. You walk out. There's a new life. 
Why would you step back in? Why? Why would we do that? Why would we pursue that? Why? Because we're used to it. We don't know anything different. And so there has to be like this divine exchange that takes place. When I gave my life to Jesus, when I was 19 years old, when I gave my life to Christ, and I, and I got on my hands and knees in this little, little building in Hawthorne, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sin, I knew that from that moment on that I needed to make some changes in my life. And those changes were empowered by the will of God in my life. Right? And so I started to cut away from people that were unhealthy for me. I started to sever myself from the relationships that I had in the world, even though that's all I ever knew. Even though these were my best of best friends. Even though these were like my brothers, you know, to me. Right? We ride or die together. But I knew that if I was going to pursue Jesus, that there was going to have to be this divine exchange. Right? I was going to let go of my sin and my old life for righteousness in Christ and a new life in Christ. And I couldn't, I couldn't teeter-totter between both of them. I couldn't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. I needed to be sold out. And selling out to Jesus meant distancing myself from everything that represented disobedience to Christ. Am I talking to anybody here? Because I'm, I'm afraid for a lot of us that all we're doing in our Christianity is giving God continual lip service. When God wants to transform you and show you his goodness through his grace and his mercy as you pursue his will for your life and everything that he has for you will be unraveled and begin to unfold as you put him first. All these things happen when you put him first and everything else shall be added unto you. So he says, how do we, since we've been united with him in, in death, we will also be raised with, to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Come on. You're not a slave to sin anymore. It's like we sang that song today, and I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll never go through heartache. That, that doesn't mean that you won't have difficult times, that you won't go through dark times, that you'll have valley moments or hilltop moments. What that means is that God will empower you to get through it all. Because everything works out for those who God loves and loves God and are called according to his purpose. Sin's power over our lives has been broken by the blood of Jesus through the cross and his resurrection. It has no hold on you. You and I have been made free. Can somebody say amen? I'm going to have the worship team come up. I'm not going to be able to finish this, but I want to remind you, sin has no hold on you. If sin has no hold on you, stop holding on to your sin. If sin has no hold on you, stop holding on to your sin. God already forgave you. God already wiped it away. God already empowered you to live free from it. Why hold on to it? For many of us, our sin has become like a comfort blanket. This is what I'm used to. I'm used to, I'm used to sleeping around with other people when my heart gets broken. I'm used to going to alcohol whenever I'm stressed out. I'm used to going to the pills when I, I'm having a difficult time navigating through all the family drama. I'm used to being um, dishonest because my family's financially struggling, and so I need more money, so I just gotta figure it out. God already forgave you of your sin. Stop holding on to your sin. I really believe that if we become the kind of church that isn't afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way the Bible. You know, today there are too many churches that have become more of a life coach to everybody. It's been like this inspirational life coach. Come on, you can do it. You're a great person. No, you're not. You're not that great. None of us are. So many things have been taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, try to become a Laker today. 
I bet you can't do it. But take it out of context. We've all been given an assignment. Every single one of us. And together we fulfill it as a bride of Christ. But I just want to urge you, if you remember anything today, remember this. That God hears from heaven those who would humble themselves, pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways. Then he responds with healing and restoration, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Right? If my people who are called by my name, and every person in this room is called by the name of Jesus, who are called by my name, would humble themselves. Some of you are so prideful and arrogant. You think you got it together, but in reality, one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to show you how, how messed up you really were. So why not just present your mess before God today? Why not just present it and go, you know what? <laughs> I'm not willing to mess this thing up. I know that I don't have it all together. I don't think anybody here has it all together. Not, not a one of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. But as we passionately pursue Jesus and the divine word that he left for all of us as instruction and put it into application every single day of our lives and love him with everything that's within us and love others the way God wants us to love them and genuinely worship him in spirit and in truth, then we'll, we will see the manifold power and the presence of God active in every area of our lives. Back to Romans 6.12. Don't let sin control the way that you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. You were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right before the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Come on. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I just want to encourage all of you here today. If you get encouraged in anything, be encouraged in this, that as we pursue 2020, ask yourself the question, what am I living for? Not what do you do for a living, but what are you living for? I love the way the Old Testament um, patriarch said it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I say this as a testimony, not as a boastimony. Roxanne will tell you that for a long time, you know, I've had on my heart, you know, to buy her a house. And, and we just decided that we weren't going to be able to do that because it wasn't in our means to do so. And then a gentleman that I love dearly and who was a mentor of mine decided that when he went home to, the, to be with the Lord that he was going to bless us. And he gave us a house fully paid for. And that was the grace of God, a miracle of God. And, and now we're in the middle of all this construction. So if you guys see all this construction stuff happening on our social media, we're just thanking God. We're showing you guys the goodness of God, just, just really bragging on God. Because I love it when God shows off in our lives. I love that. And I love it when God shows off in your life too. I love it. I love hearing people say, man, I got a raise. Praise God for that. Hey, Pastor, my wife stopped tripping. Praise God for that. Hey, Pastor, my business is doing better. Come on, somebody. Hey, my kids are going to college. Come on. Right? I love celebrating with the people of God when God celebrates and shows off, you know, to everyone. And, and I was reminded of this just recently because I told Roxanne, it's interesting because I grew up in a pretty wealthy family. It's a broken family, but a well-off family. And I didn't get to have everything I ever wanted. My dad just, whatever I tell you, you, you want, you want. You get it. But when I started to grow up and, and started to pursue God, I was like, man, I, you know, I've always wanted this and I've always wanted that. And it'd be fun if we were able to do this. If we were, it'd be fun if we were able to do that. And after 30 years of serving God, I'm here to tell you, by the grace of God, he's giving us, he's given us everything we've ever wanted and more. Because God loves to do above and beyond anything 
anything. And I, I was just reminded of this the other day because when Roxanne and I got married and we had kids, I had a GSXR 1100. I love riding motorcycles. It's something that I love to do. And um, I grew up with my dad. He, he was a motorcycle, he was a biker. And, and uh, I just always had a passion for motorcycles. And when I got married um, to Roxanne and we had our, our kids, I think they were like one in three, I had a couple close calls and she basically walked me into the room. She goes, you gotta get rid of that motorcycle. And I was like, why? She goes, let me give you two good reasons. And she pointed at Christian and Justina's little kids. I was like, man, I rebuke you, Satan, right now in Jesus' name. And I remember putting my, my bike, remember Pastor Mitchell, remember the recycler. Anybody remember the recycler? It was way before Craigslist. These two guys hooked the bike on the, on the, uh, on a trailer, and, and I literally stood in the middle of the street just watching my bike just be driven out. I had tears in my eyes. Came back in like a, like a big girl and just, it's not there, you know. And just we went on with life. And then later on in life, I was like, you know what, I want to buy another motorcycle. She's like, nope. And she goes, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. You get me my house, and you can have your motorcycle. She said, right? It's what she said. So we came into a place where we knew that we weren't going to buy a house. So she knew I would never get the motorcycle, right? But then my friend went to, to be with the Lord, and he gave us the house. And sitting in the garage, in my name, was a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And on the side of it, he was a spirit-filled guy. And he, on the side of it, he painted Holy Ghost on the side of the motorcycle. And she walked in, and she said, hey, you need to get rid of that bike. I was like, wait a minute. You, you can't get rid of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> can't do that. Not going to do that to God. But I just found it so, like, I told her the other day, I was like, isn't God so good? He's so good. He always makes a way. He always makes provision, protection, and prosperity through his promises. So not only did she get her house, I got my bike, and I didn't even have to pay for it. This is a miracle of God. But God is so good to all of us. He's done that and so much. I wish I could just sit here and tell you all the goodness and the grace of God. When we got the house, when we got the house, I got hit with $9,000 in taxes. Like, it's a free house, fully paid for, but now there's this thing called taxes that you have to pay on property. And I looked at her, I was like, I don't, I don't know how we're gonna, how are we gonna do that? And then sure enough, oh, and by the way, he left you a little something in the bank account. And sure enough, it was enough to take care of all the taxes. It's just the way that it worked out. It's just the way that it worked out. It's just the way that it works out. Because God's good all the time. And all the time. Can we just bow our heads in reverence to the Lord? I've taken enough time of your Sunday, but I'm so honored that, that all of you have made a decision to make restoration life your home. I want to encourage you today. Don't stay on the surface of your Christianity. Go deep with God. And the way that you go deep with God is that you got to know God through his word. you got to study your word. If you know the word, you'll know God. But don't leave it at a, at a cerebral place. Be passionate about pursuing Jesus with your worship and your prayer and your acts of service. Because it all works together for producing good fruit in our lives. I just think that maybe today there are some people that need to repent of some things. And it could be just like the sin of omission. Like there are things that you know you should be doing that you're not doing. And that's a sin too, right? Because to him to know, to do good and does it not to them, it is sin. Right? So there are things that I believe that God wants all of us to do, wants all of us to accomplish, right? Respectfully to the plan of God for all of our individual lives. But we reject it for whatever reason because we're used to doing other things with our life. And I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus today and all that he has for you as we enter into 2020. 
Let's make sure that we're living for Jesus and not for ourselves. Let's make sure that we're living for Jesus and not for this world. Because we're not of this world. We're just passing through.